I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to another fabulous day in the Lord's Neighborhood and to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I'm Page, your caffeine-imbued host. Here's my coffee. Oh, in the beginning, coffee and low, it was very, very good. Today, we're going to continue on in Joshua, chapter 3. He's getting ready to cross the Jordan with Israel, and uh, I have a few thoughts on this. Um. What's amazing to me that is I've read this story many times. Uh, I've gone through the Old Testament and, and the New Testament many times since I've been a Christian since 1975. Whoa. Um, by the way, that's 25 plus 23. That's 48 years that I've been reading the Bible off and on, sometimes doing deep dives and studies, sometimes just reading, and this last couple of years doing this devotional approach. Um, and every time I read a passage of Scripture that I've seen before, I almost always see something new and different, and today's no different. So when I read this passage of Scripture, I'm saying, all right, what can I find out about God? What can I find out about me? God, what are you trying to tell me? So join me as I read chapter 3. It's a short chapter, and I think with my mouth open and share with what I think God is reminding me of something very, very, very important. And that's how God guides me. Well, let's, let's just get right to it. Chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days... The officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits. I think that's about uh, 900 yards maybe. Between you and the Ark, do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of Jordan's waters, Go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you 
and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp across the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, which by the way is this time. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. All right. All right. This is a colossal and huge event that's getting ready to take place. This entire nation of Israel, some people have uh, estimated that there were over 600,000 people at a time. And I don't know how big the army was. Um, tens of thousands, I would think. So, uh, two points of view here. Israel, they, they're finally on the cusp of entering into the land that was promised to Abraham generations earlier. The generation that had seen God do miraculous things in Egypt were all gone, with the exception of Joshua and one of his other friends. So this new generation had not seen God's power manifested in a powerful way like it happened in Egypt. They'd heard the stories from their parents. Well, God is going to give them a sign, much like their parents had when they crossed the Red Sea, now we're going to cross the Jordan. God piled up the waters on either side of the Red Sea so they cross on dry ground, and now he's going to do the same thing with them, with the Jordan, while it's at flood stage. All right, so they're going to have, they're going to be able to lay claim to seeing that power, that miraculous power of God manifested in that way. That's kind of important. Um, And then, Think about the other point of view from Jericho. They know that Israel's coming. And if there were 600,000 people in Israel crossing the Jordan, put yourself in the shoes of the people living in that land that had been promised to Israel and a 40,000-man army 600,000 total people were crossing the Jordan and camping at your doorstep at Jericho. That had to be a scary sight. Um, but I'm thinking God drew my thoughts more along the lines of uh, how do you, when, when there's a big decision to be made, when there's a big change coming, how does God affirm that to you. Well, in my case, what God does 
uh, he has, and, and this is different for everybody because everybody's individualistic. I have learned to recognize when God is involved, really intimately involved in a big decision I have to make. And it's happened time and again with me. Um, no rivers backing up. But there's a there's a verse in Colossians uh, 3.15a. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, he's talking in this context in Colossians about peace amongst the members of the body. You know, we, we should... We should not be fighting with each other. We should be at peace. We should be one with another. And that's true. In my case, though, I, I found a di slightly different application of this verse. And it's, I looked at, at the Greek for the word rule, and it just basically means choosing right or wrong. What is right? What is wrong? Not what is right, what is wrong morally, perhaps, but what is right or wrong in this situation as far as when you have choices to make? My dad used to have, uh, I miss my dad. He died in 2002, I think. He never once his entire life gave me advice. And I know that sounds cruel maybe, but he never once gave me advice. But that it, it doesn't mean he wasn't involved with my decision making. I would call him up whenever I had a big decision to make. And I'd run something past him. And he'd always do the same thing. He never told me what to do. He never gave me advice. He never said, well, I kind of wish you'd do this or I kind of wish you'd do that. He never did that. What he would do is he would ask me questions. One question in particular. And that question would draw the answer out of me. For instance, I was getting ready. I was coming. I was finishing 16 years in the Navy. And I was coming up on what would be my last tour of duty before I got my 20-year retirement. Um, but I had become increasingly, increasingly uncomfortable with what I was doing in the Navy. And I had an opportunity, uh, a possible job waiting for me in the civilian sector. But uh, I didn't know what to do. My common sense says stay in the Navy Finish your 20 years, get that check, and then go do whatever it is you want to do. But the places that the Navy was going to send me uh, would have been very, very, very bad for my children. Um, they were both entering the high school years, and that was weighing on me. I didn't want to hurt my family, and I called my dad. I said, Dad, what do you think? These are my choices. And this is the question he asked me. He said, all right, son, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about it. He said, pretend you made the decision to stay in the Navy. And tomorrow when you get up, you've already signed all the papers and you're going to be in the Navy for the next four years. What does that feel like? In your gut? I said, Dad, I, I want to throw up. He said, all righty then. And that's all he did. He was demonstrating this verse to me, this let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It was God, God just, when I thought about 
the new job, going to the new job, to the new place, Atlanta, which is where I am now, there was, there was like an unnatural peace that settled over me. When I thought about staying in the Navy for that four more years, which is what the world would say to do, it made sense. There was so much unquiet, so much uh, not peace. Another time, later on in Atlanta, uh, I'd gotten laid off from a very, very well, uh, good-paying job. I'd worked my way up in the six-figure salary world. And I got laid off, went through bankruptcy, uh, spent a year rebuilding myself, reinventing myself. And during that year, my brother, God love him, he's always looking out for me because that's what brothers do. He called me up and said, he said, Paige, I have a friend of mine who works at Hewlett Packard. And uh, he I, I, I didn't ask you, but I sent him your resume. I'm, I'm sorry if that's wrong. I said, no, it's not wrong. What's, what's going on? He said, I sent him your resume. He likes what he sees. He said, if you show up there, you could go, th- just go through the, the routine. He said, that job's probably yours. And it pays 75 grand a year to start. And I remember thinking, wow. But I sat down with my wife. Now, this was about 2003. Now, dad had died 2002. He, I asked my wife, said, all right, look, this is the deal. We've worked really hard this last year, year and a half to reinvent ourselves. We're, by that time, we were teaching music. We were te- I was teaching music classes at homeschool academies. I was teaching private lessons. Glenda was beginning to teach uh, elementary school music in the private school world. Um, we were, we had reinvented ourselves and we were re- rebuilding. And I said, this is a deal. I told her what Pat had told me. And she said, well, I'm just going to ask you what your dad would ask. Pretend you've made the decision to take that job at Hewlett Packard. And tomorrow, you're going to get up, get in the car, and you're going to drive to northeast perimeter of Atlanta to go to work. What does that feel like? I said, I want to throw up. She said, okay. She said, we've been poor before. We're poor now. It's no big deal. The kids are on their own. It's just you and me. Let's continue this adventure with music and see where it leads us. And when I made that decision in my head to not go to Hewlett Packard, but to stay doing what I was doing, this unnatural peace just fell over me. That's been God's calling card to me in my decision-making process. Now, there have been other times where God has showed his hand in a miraculous big way in, in different times, but primarily in my life, this peace of God rule. You might say, let the peace of God be the umpire, choosing strikes or balls, choosing right or wrong. Sometimes you're going to be faced with choices that morally are not right or wrong. Just what's right or wrong for you in your situation, and that, that's where this comes into play with me. Well, that's how God shows himself to me. And you can't explain it to somebody who's never experienced it, but that's how God works in my life. When faced with the decision, 
I pretend I've already made that decision. And then I see what I feel like. Now, when I'm in conversation with God on a regular basis, which I am now, when I'm reading the Word of God on a regular basis, like I am now, it's like my senses are sharpened. It's easier for me to sense what God is doing. There have been several years in my life where that hasn't been the case, and it's been hard for me to find God's will for me because I'm not talking to him. I'm not letting him talk to me. The more I'm in his word, the more I'm in conversation with him, it seems like the more sensitive my heart is to the leanings of the Holy Spirit, and it's easier for me to let the peace of Christ rule. Israel is getting ready to do something huge here. Israel is getting ready to go on a extended military campaign. They haven't done that yet. Now, they've had some skirmishes. They've had some pit skirmishes with other uh, rulers in the area, but this is a big deal. They're going up against Jericho. Jericho is huge. Jericho is a huge thing. It's a powerful uh, fortress city, and it's going to be a true test of what Israel can bring to the table militarily. And they need to know that God is with them in this. This new generation hasn't seen what God did in Egypt. That's done. Miracles of the past stay in the past. What your parents saw God do isn't nearly as important as what you see God do. What happened to your parents, valuable as it is, isn't nearly as important as your personal experience with God. And so this generation, they experienced their own miracle. They got to see the Jordan River at flood stage dried up so they could walk across and set their foot for the first time in the land promised to Abraham, their ancestor. Now, sometimes God will move in big signs and wonders. Sometimes it's something a little bit innocuous as the peace of God. And I can't tell you how the peace of Christ ruling in your heart works, except if you know, you know. But God has a way of communicating his will to you. And he'll do it. An old preacher told me God uses the ordinary to accomplish his will unless the extraordinary is called for. Sometimes we're required to have faith in God's heart, faith in God's character, faith in God that keeps us moving forward regardless of whether or not he gives us a sign or a wonder or a miracle. Um. And in my case, many times I've made wrong decisions in the past. And I guarantee you, every wrong decision I've made has been made without involving God in it. When I got laid off from my engineering job, I took my entire life savings and dropped it into a video production company. I knew it was going to work. It was something I've loved to do. Uh, I'm a creative type. And I just absolutely knew it couldn't fail. So I felt no need to talk to God about it. Well, you know how that story goes, right? It failed miserably. I did everything wrong that could be wrong. I might as well take gone to the top of the tallest building in Atlanta and thrown all my money into the wind for all the good it did me. 
the business failed, the business folded within a year, and I was bankrupt and crushed, realizing that I had made a major move with my family and myself without consulting God. Hmm. I didn't give it the test of let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Hadn't done that. And I came close to be being totally destroyed financially. Israel was given a sign at the very beginning. They crossed the Jordan on dry ground during flood stage. And now they're camped on the other side of the Jordan River. And they're staring down Jericho. And Jericho is staring back. Hmm. It's going to be, this is going to be an exciting time. So when it comes to this passage of scripture, that's what God brought to my mind. How God showed them, gave them proof that of his will, that he wanted them to cross over. And he gave this generation their own proof. They don't have to rely on what God did in the previous generation. That's over and done with. God is more than capable of speaking to you where you are. He is more than capable of revealing himself to you where you are. If it requires a miracle, so be it. God's not above that. If it, if something like the peace of Christ ruling your heart, which in itself is a miracle to me, because it's it's God communicating to me. So be it. When you get ready to make a major move, God will find a way to communicate with you. So keep the channels open. Pray. Fellowship with other believers. Read the word. You know the drill. And God will let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He will speak to you with signs and wonders if necessary or just that quiet, calm assurance of his will for you. Hmm. That's a good place to stop. Here's my coffee, folks. I'm Paige. I am out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.